0: Who you are defines how you build. This is the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series. Brought to you by Stanford eCorner. Welcome um, YouTube and Stanford communities to the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Seminar at Stanford University. I am Ravi Balani, the Managing Director of Alchemist, an accelerator for enterprise startups, and a lecturer in the Management, Science, and Engineering Department at Stanford. Today, we are kicking off the spring quarter in the deep end, we're going deep, and I don't mean just in terms of just deep entrepreneurship, but deep purpose. Um, And so there are a few people that we could think of that could be better than kicking off the spring quarter than Ranjay Gulati from Harvard Business School. Um, Ranjay Gulati is the Paul, Paul R. Lawrence MBA class of 1942 professor of business administration at Harvard Business School. Um, and the former unit head of the Organizational Behavior Unit at Harvard Business School. He's an expert on leadership in turbulent times and has studied and written about the topic for the past 25 years. Um, his latest book, which is published in February, is entitled Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performing Companies. And it shows how companies are high-performance companies. And it shows how companies can embed purpose much more deeply than they currently do. And that is going to be the focus of our session today. Now, Runjay himself graduated with bachelor's degrees in computer science and economics, and then went on to get a master's in management from MIT, and then a PhD from Harvard. Um, before he was a professor at Harvard Business School, he was a professor at Kellogg. And he wasn't just a professor. He won the award for outstanding, for best, the best professor award at Kellogg. And Runjay has also been ranked as one of the 10 most cited scholars in economics and business over a decade. Um, Because of the gravity of knowledge that Ranjay brings and the limited time that we have today, we're going to, before we jump into a fireside chat with Ranjay, we're gonna invite Ranjay just to share anything that he wants to with our community and the extended YouTube communities and any takeaways from his book, Deep Purpose. So everybody, please welcome Ranjay.
1: Thank you so much Ravi for that introduction. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you today. And I'm delighted to have a chance to talk to you all about my research. Um, and as uh, you know, I will do a quick job in trying to summarize some of the key findings from this project. And then I'm going to turn it over to a conversation with Ravi and open it up to q as well. So this topic, uh, if you told me five years ago, Ranja, you're going to write a book about purpose, I would have said you're crazy. Purpose, mission statements. I mean, this is like businesses are here to survive and thrive. And I was studying growth companies. I was studying fast growth companies, small and large. So I had an interest. I had an ongoing project looking at rapidly scaling organizations. And I was looking at how do they scale up in both good times and bad. I looked in down markets, up markets. And the basic thesis was that businesses need to do two things right. Figure out a good strategy, which markets are you going to play in? which is your value proposition, what's going to be unique about you, how do you build moats around your strategy, and then you got to get it done, get the job done, right? So much of my work was all around these two buckets, helping you find the good strategy and then helping you execute the strategy. And I thought, that's it. And then I discovered actually, it came to me by looking at some fast growth startups where founders would start lamenting the loss of something. We've grown too big. Uh, We've lost uh, that entrepreneurial kind of mindset. You know, there's something getting lost. And in some cases, the founders would leave and come right back. You know, you saw that with Steve Jobs coming back to Apple. You saw that actually Howard Schultz is coming back for the third time to Starbucks. Phil Knight, who founded Nike, kept coming and going, coming and going. You saw that Google. So you start to see this kind of like, oh, my God, my, my baby has lost something. This soul of a startup. And so I really probed this issue and I had seen it in my own family business. My mother had started a business that went from zero to several thousand employees in a couple of years. And she also talked to me, I was a teenager. She was like, something is just not fun anymore. It's just not the same feeling. And so that was kind of the real, that was a fashion startup she had. So that's the image. And then even at large scale, you saw that with companies like, you know, the, the Microsoft turnaround that Satya wrote about in his book. He said, look, what we discovered was we had lost our purpose and so then i started to hear the word purpose intention that somehow businesses must have a purpose and this purpose can be an animating force that energizes people in the organization so it's not just about having an idea it's not just saying an idea i have a big idea let me show you the idea it's about i have an idea i want to change the way things get done in my industry i want to change this marketplace I want to change the way customers experience things. And purpose is not just social stuff. It's not saving the Amazon forest only. You know, look at Amazon's founding. I want to change the customer experience. Period. I want to change the way they experience something. So I discovered it wasn't just an idea. It was about having an idea. And so this thing called purpose was confusing because... The way we teach it in management is saying, you know, businesses need to have tactics, the immediate one to two year. They need to have a strategy. They need to have a vision and they need to have a mission. And mission is out there long-term. Who cares right now? I'm trying to survive. I want to build a business. And what I discovered was great organizations start to think about their purpose very, very early. If you look at some amazingly successful companies in the last decade, if you look at Etsy, very purpose-driven, you look at Wobby Parker, very purpose driven. You look at Gotham Green, which is an agrotech company, purpose driven. You look at Livongo, that sold to Teladoc for 18.5 billion dollars two years ago, purpose driven. So you start to see some of these startups, if you will, where founders start to talk about this notion of having a purpose. Now, there's a lot of cynicism about this purpose stuff too, because a lot of companies engage in what we call purpose washing, also called virtue signaling, also called virtue cloaking. And if you look at, this is an article written a couple of years ago called Sex, Lies, and Mission Statements. Look at that. In your neck of the woods, Theranos had a purpose. Enron had a purpose. Facebook has a purpose. Purdue Pharmaceuticals that led led the OxyContin explosion also had a purpose. So there's a lot of kind of cynicism, especially in tech. I think people say like, you know, there's a lot of this smoke, smoke blowing my way. You know, I don't buy this stuff. And that's why actually... Ravi, to your earlier comment, I wanted to call my book purpose, but I couldn't because I saw a lot of superficial purpose, but I also saw some deep purpose. And I want to convince you, I hope in the next few minutes, that purpose is good for business. First of all, I'll show you some data. There was intriguing data showing a correlation between purpose and performance, right? And then there was, of course, you can go back to read the little prints and you'll see about how purpose is an energizing thing and it inspires people to do wonderful things. But I want to quickly explain to you three things. What is purpose? Why does it matter? And how do you do it? So how about I try to explain my entire book to you in the next seven minutes? And I'll try to speak fast. Let's start with what is purpose. People think of purpose as a very individual construct. In fact, I would like to kind of talk about the best definition I found is by a psychologist in your university. William Damon wrote uh, wrote an excellent book where he talked about purpose is a stabilized and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential to the world beyond the self. So we understand it at the individual level. We don't kind of get what does it mean at an organization level? Is it social stuff? Is it economic stuff? What is it? And people think, is it a mission statement? I got to write a mission statement now. And actually what purpose is, is not a purpose statement necessarily. It's about an idea. Why do we want to exist as a business? And when you are forced to answer that question, it forces you to clarify your strategy, your vision for the future. What are you aspiring to be? Why are you here? And I have now interviewed a large number of venture capitalists who now are talking about this as a kind of filtering mechanism. I want entrepreneurs to not just come with an idea. I want them to say in an expansive way, how do we want to make a difference in the world? And I said here, commercial. I didn't say social. I'm not saying save the Amazon forest. Now, a purpose has an ambition in it. We have goals. We are going to do this. It also has a sense of duties in it. Here's how we plan to make a difference in our customers' lives. Here's how we plan to make a difference in the communities. Here are the problems we want to solve. It encompasses broad array of stakeholders. If you're trying to build a business, you, who are stakeholders, by the way? You Everyone confuses stakeholders as environment. The planet is one stakeholder. Yes, stakeholders are employees. Stakeholders are customers. Stakeholders are the communities in which you're going to operate. And stakeholders are the planet. So how are you imagining a business that is going to have a positive impact on customers, employees, and the communities, and maybe the planet even? What are the problems you're trying to solve? And it envisions how are you trying to build a business in the long term? So purpose is not some kind of a one-liner statement only. It's really about how you're imagining your business. What is the reason for its existence? What if it ceased to exist? What would happen? Now, you might say, why does it matter? You know, Ranjay, I'm so busy. We're trying to build a business here, survive, raise money, deal with burn rain, understanding what our, what equity we're going to give away, how we're going to hire people. Why does it matter? Purpose actually serves four functions. So I'm not going to show you the empirical data to prove the point to you because the data itself is still being worked out. But I think there are four real benefits. First, purpose is a compass. It gives you directional clarity. As you're trying to imagine what your strategy for growth is, it clarifies to you where you want to play and where you don't want to play. Once you've articulated a purpose for the business, it gives you structure and clarity about where you want to play. It allows you to look expansively and narrowly at what you're trying to accomplish. What's the space in which we are working and which problems do we want to solve? It's motivational. Livongo, that, was based, is, is, that is based right out of, in, in the Bay Area, you know, is building, built an app for diabetics. And the first idea was no tech engineer wants to go work for a healthcare company. They wanna work in tech companies and we can't even pay competitive wages. But they were building an app for diabetics. They didn't say diabetics, people with diabetes. They didn't wanna identify a person by their disease almost half the employees had some personal connection to diabetes in their families either themselves or somebody else around them so having an ambition can be in, in, inspiring to people especially if it connects to them in a very personal way I want to be part of that you know again it can't be smoke and mirrors if it's one of those smoke and mirrors game people are going to see right through it And they're going to hold you accountable for it when you don't live up to your purpose. You're going to have whistleblowers. You're going to have people complaining. Look what's happened at Spotify. Look what's happening at Disney. Look what happened at Facebook. So you've got to understand that if you're dialing into people wanting to come and work for you because they're inspired. I want to just clarify to you the quick HR story here. For the longest time, companies were focused on creating satisfaction at work. It then moved into creating engagement at work. Now the holy grail is creating inspiration. How do I get people to feel inspired by where they work are here from? And how do we do that? How do we tap into that? And inspired workers are 2.2 times as productive as satisfied workers. Then you get to the third piece of that, which is relational. And relational is all about the ability to build relationships with other entities outside of yourself. I don't need to preach to you about the power of ecosystems and platforms and engagement today. Well, what I'm finding is there's emerging evidence that businesses that have a clearly articulated purpose orientation, not a smoke and mirrors, real, deep purpose, are able to build more trusting connections with other partners than other companies. Because purpose becomes kind of a marker for our beliefs and value systems. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is what we believe in. And it makes it easier to build that connection. I'm sure you know this. More than 50% of partnerships fail. So here you are running around saying, I want to build an ecosystem or a platform Or More than half of them are going to fail. So how do you break through that? And the last one is reputation. There's a huge body of work now on purpose branding that customers trust companies that have a clearly articulated purpose. There's all this work on purpose branding going on right now. And so I would like to say to you that if you build a business with a purpose from the ground up, you're going to have clarity like a compass and you're going to have an operating system where employees are more motivated, partnerships are more real and trust-based and customers trust you more. So purpose is valuable, is my experience. Now comes the last part of the puzzle. How do you do it? So what I've described to you is chapter one and two in my book. Now I get to the last six chapters in two minutes. This is what I found scary. It's really easy to talk about purpose among a few senior leaders. Maybe the founder gets their immediate team together and talks about it. But as you, once you start growing, there's an exponential decay in purpose. It's kind of like a few people kind of holding hand and singing Kumbaya and doing an offside together. But how do you bring it alive for the people in the organization? That is the story. And The late Jim March, who was a professor at Stanford in the Graduate School of Business and also the School of Education, said leaders have to not just be plumbers, but they have to be poets. You see, plumbing stuff is easy. Build the organization, get an org chart in place, get the financial model working, build a strategy, understand your customers and markets. That's plumbing. Poetry is about inspiring people. How do I get people excited to be here? How do I get them really energized? So as you start to say, I want to build an organization that has a purpose, you have to start thinking about what your job as a leader is. How are you going to elevate people? And you can see all the kind of phenomenal startups that you see that have grown majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them have somebody who plays the role of a poet, who really knows how to elevate people's thinking in that process. So I want to just, you know, in the interest of time, I want to just summarize my kind of big picture takeaway. I think it's important to understand that purpose is not a purpose statement. It's really an animating idea. It's why we exist. It has an ambition of goals. It has a sense of duties. It's long-term and it embraces the array of stakeholders to whom you want to serve, right? Right. Why do we want to do that? It's motivational, it's directional, it's relational, and it's reputational. But the hardest part is actually turning ideas into action. And that's going to be, that's where you're going to have to go and read my book if you want to know more. But I just want to highlight to you the notion that I think when we are in startup mode, we kind of get lost in this notion that I just got to build a business and survive. It's never too early to articulate a purpose for the business. It'll force you to think about the strategy for the business. It'll force you to craft what your vision for where this business is going to go. And it can become an anchor for the culture you're trying to create in the organization. It becomes a mechanism to attract talent and attract capital. What kind of capital do you want to attract to the business? And I think it's something that is an energizing force. And you know, in business today, I feel we have really ignored purpose because we became so cynical about it because people just turned it into a smoke and mirrors exercise. So my wish for all of you here is to think hard about this topic. Think hard about, should I be thinking about purpose if I was to embark on, and if you're going to work for one, ask yourself this question. Does my, this company have a purpose and does the company purpose resonate with my personal purpose? Now you might say, Ranji, I'm too young to have a purpose. And you're never too young to have a purpose. If you have a purpose, it creates greater intentionality in your life. You're much more proactive. You have a more deliberate sense of where you're going and why you're going there. But looking for that personal resonance with purpose. And by the way, research in biology shows that people who have a purpose live longer, are healthier, don't get sick that often, are living much more healthier, productive lives. So there you have it. So find your purpose connected to the organization where you choose to work or the one you may wanna start. And I think that will be the key to success. Ravi, I wanna turn it back to you.
0: Ranjay, thank you. Uh, There is so much deep, obviously deep stuff here that I wanna unpack. And I wanna make sure that some of these points aren't lost. Um, I wanna actually key off on just what you ended with, which was there's this connection between every individual, every student right now at Stanford, you're saying does have a purpose and needs to map that to an organization. Is that first of all true? Do you believe that every individual has a purpose? Every individual should have a purpose. I
1: think many of most of us wait a long time. It's kind of like a midlife thing you do. One day I'll wake up and think about purpose. I think after COVID, there is a meaning revolution going on. I think people expect much more from work. One of the leaders I interviewed, he said to me, he said, you know, think about the phrase work-life balance. He said, That's a very pernicious phrase that, you know, work life as if there's work and then there's my life. We spend most of our time at work. So am I gonna hold my nose at work and then I go and live my life on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or what am I doing here? How can I make work a meaningful part of my existence? But to understand that I have to first interrogate myself. And William Damon has this great book on asking yourself to say, think about your purpose. And I think it's a powerful unlock. In fact, if you still are not convinced, one of the organizations I studied was the Seattle Seahawks. And I interviewed the coach, Pete Carroll, and the team psychologist as well, Michael Gervais. And it's interesting, even in performance athletics, high, at the highest of levels, the unlock to getting people to perform is to really connect into their purpose. Purpose elevates us. It gets us to perform at levels that we would not think about. So my wish for you is to think about your purpose and then try to connect it to wherever you're going to work to make personal purpose connect to the company purpose.
0: And I want to make sure this point's not lost because this is a conversation we do not have enough when it comes to entrepreneurship, because in your books and in your articles, you're not talking just about purpose. You're talking about deep purpose. And even within the articles, you talk about the company's soul. It's almost like you're talking about a spiritual dimension that we don't oftentimes discuss. And e- even for the individual, it feels like it's more about their calling. They're, it's something deeper or more rooted. I wonder if you can just expound upon this because I want to make sure that the students get this. Um, you talk about how a company has a soul, just almost like as individuals do, and that this is not deep purpose is not as simple as saying simply cultural norms to design to shape behavior but these effects run deeper. They spark a different, more intense kind of commitment and performance. And what I love is when you say they shape the meaning of work, rendering work relational instead of merely transactional. Um, I, I wanna make sure that the students understand this. And so when you're talking about deep purpose, is it fair to say you're talking about understanding your individual calling and a company's soul? And if so, when do you know When you've actually, because I think many individuals have callings and they don't know what their calling is until later. Um, When do you know that you've clicked into deep purpose? So
1: Ravi, that's a great question. There's a lot in that question. So let me try to unpack it for you there. Okay. That's a very profound question. Let me start at the organization level. Okay. And then I'll turn back to the individual. Remember, for us human beings, purpose is a layered construct. There is my personal life purpose. I want to do whatever. I want to climb Mount Everest. I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to have a meaningful life in some other way. Then there is my job purpose. What do I want to get out of my job? And how does that connect into my life? Then there is career purpose. I have a purpose in my career. So these are layered ideas that we all should be thinking about. And until for many years, we've always thought of work-life balance that there's my work and then there's my life. So purpose is in my life. Work is just a job. And, you know, economists and us organizational theorists, we've played into this. The Our theory of organizations is firms are nexus of contracts. And think of that imagery. The idea is a business is basically a business with everyone has a contract with. And our contract is pay for performance, which I call the coin-operated monkey theory of management. We're all monkeys. You put a coin in us, we'll dance for you. You put two coins, I'll dance twice for you. You make the dance fun for me, I'll dance even more for you. But I'm a coin-operated monkey. Keep putting coins, I'll keep dancing. And by the way, that model actually does work. A lot of people are inspired and motivated by pay for performance. How many coins are you going to drop in the tiller? And I'll dance for you. And it works. I'm not saying anything against that. And some of us are inspired by that. That's wonderful. But I think people... Or most of us want something that we want money, we want to get paid, but we also want to think about how my work is maybe having an impact in the world, right? I'm creating something new. The opportunity to build, create, innovate, impact, that is also part of us. We know this from decades of work on extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. The question is how do we connect that to where we choose to work? How do we make that part of what we do? If you look at the early days of many of these iconic companies in your area, I'll give you an example. Another one is Cisco. So I had a chance to interview some of the people who were there in the early days of Cisco. And, you know, you see how they talk nostalgically about how they accomplished. They were here to change the world. You know, so you start to see how do I find my own coin and dial into the organization where I want to work. So it resonates with me. And so work is no longer a job. It's not a pay for performance only. I want to get paid. I'm not saying you don't want to get paid. But how do I get more than just money out of where I work?
0: Yes, yes. And, and I also want to underscore this point that you say that we need to talk about purpose from day zero. Um, and I do think that even though we're having this conversation, the zeitgeist in Silicon Valley is, is that purpose, when we talk about purpose or these ideals, it's relegated as something that's really discretionary. At the end of the day, people will listen, but they'll view it as motherhood and apple pie. And they'll think that what they really need to focus on is product market fit. That's really entrepreneurship. Or as you say in one of your articles, you know, Mark Andreessen says, everything that matters is product market fit. And the venture capitalists are gonna measure me on growth rates and unit economic rates. And when you're starting out, it's an existential threat. Um, can you speak to that? So. Are you saying at day zero, um, when a company's very survival is at stake, um, that a founder needs to prioritize their precious limited time to thinking about purpose? And then if so, how? we're in a school of engineering, everybody loves to measure things. If the definition of purpose is this animated idea, you can measure unit economics, you can measure product market fit, how do we measure the purpose?
1: Both excellent questions. So first of all, I think is I am nothing against product market fit. I think we need that. We need to understand unit economics. We need to understand the engine that is going to build a business around us. I think what happens is we start narrow very quickly. And I think we then miss out on the opportunity to think expansively about our business. What space are we in? What are the problems we want to solve? We get caught up in the product market fit. And sometimes we abstract away adjacent problems we could be solving. So we miss adjacencies in our markets. We miss opportunities around in adjacent areas. So I think purpose is a wonderful vehicle to also sharpen your product market fit in an expansive way. Um, I think it also is a wonderful way to talk about it. You know, uh, founder entrepreneurs are selling all the time, selling their business to not only venture capital to raise money, but also to new employees, to everybody. How do you talk the talk? Let me tell you about product market fit. No, let me tell you about my expansive notion of what my business is all about. So it even from a, it's building a narrative. It gets you to build a narrative. You want to call it an elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it. But now you come to the next part of it, Ravi. How do you measure yourself? Like, how do I know, am I, how, how, how am I measuring my product, my, my purpose over here? How am I doing on that? Very hard question. And I think this is where it gets subjective really fast. I think the only way to start to imagine, ask after this question is, to what degree am I living our purpose? How much do we reference and talk about our purpose when we think about our strategy and our product market fit? When we are hiring people and employees and even thinking of promoting people, how often do we think about purpose orientation? When we onboard new people, do we talk about our purpose? Is it something that is just wallpaper or is it lived purpose, right? How clear are we about our purpose in our communication with our customers and our ecosystem partners? So I think it is subjective inherently. I think it's also, it's never too early. It gives you the, I mean, I told you at a very basic level, it gives you a narrative to talk about. But I think it is, that makes it shallow purpose. That's all you're doing. I need a sales pitch. Thank you, Ranjay. I got it. I got that two-liner you wanted me to, all this is about elevator pitch. That's all you want to talk about. Elevator pitch, yes, but what if you took the elevator pitch seriously? What if you try to translate that into something
0: bigger? You're
1: unlocking huge possibilities.
0: Okay. Terrific, thanks Ranjay. Um, so Ranjay, I do, we are seeing all these signs about how society is rewarding companies for being more transcendent um, outside of the traditional scope of what a business is. And I do think that companies today are being compelled to take stances on social justice issues, the most you know, the most salient example of that today is the Russian-Ukraine crisis and how corporates are self-sanctioning beyond what legally is required, and they're expected to, and society's holding them accountable if they're not. I wondered if you could comment about that trend because I think there's also more controversial social justice issues where corporates are pressured to take stances and face risks where they'll marginalize some individuals in the companies where their individual sense of purpose suddenly now doesn't overlap with the companies. And many would argue that historically, company leaders should have been apolitical because you want to encourage a diversity of employee thought and stakeholder thought and not take sides. So can you address whether or not leaders and corporates should take stances on issues of social justice and how do they navigate that?
1: So without even offering my own opinion on that, I will tell you we're in a new world. And Ukraine, the tragedy in Ukraine and what's happening now with Russia, I think has been a game changer in that suddenly now businesses are being forced to take geopolitical stances, right? Not just kind of local domestic politics. This is geopolitical. We are choosing sides. Now, in some level, this one is a black and white issue, as you said, Ravi. You know, the answer of what is right or wrong was pretty clear. And you've got to commend businesses For being ahead of governments, they moved fast. And the ones who didn't move fast were penalized quickly and moved quickly after that. So you had Zara saying, We're out of Russia, we're shutting down right now. And Uniqlo saying, Well, clothing is a human right. And maybe we wanna hang around and we wanna sell clothes to Russians, come on. And five days later, they're gone too. Right? So, but these were easy ones. The harder ones are gonna be where now businesses have to choose between domestic political issues. You know, and you can see where the answers are not so clear. And I think it's not governments. I thought it was going to be governments who are going to pressure us businesses to suddenly say, "Listen, stop being this. I'm an I, I'm a business. I don't get involved." That's not a, sidelines is not acceptable anymore. And but you see now employees and customers becoming much more vocal and pressuring companies to say, "You got to take a position." Disney is a great example of that. What happened recently? Um, Spotify. You know, employee rebellion. Spotify was trying to fudge it and say, no, Joe Rogan, you know, it's okay. He's so popular, you know, we, we spent so much money on it. And they're like, no, not acceptable. Right? And so you're seeing much more, or Delta Airlines with voting rights. Now, here is the dilemma, I think, for businesses. is You can either be reacting to pressure and say, okay, when the pressure is too much, we got to do something. Right? So then you're entirely reactive. What I discovered was, Organizations that have a clearly articulated purpose have an easier time navigating through this com- complexity saying, that's not what we do. So Etsy, for instance, is a company I looked at and as Etsy, they've made, they have their comer- economic goals. They want to build a thriving marketplace, but they have three social goals they also outlined and they're measuring themselves on them, by the way. The three are diversity, equity, and inclusion, sustainability, and Enabling our sellers' economic impact, improving that. That's it. We don't do any four issues, five issues, and that's it. So, any other issues come our way? Sorry, not our thing. We've got three, we measure them, we do this, we go deep in these three. We're not doing four, five, six issues. So, we're not involved. So, you know how by articulating a purpose, it also gives you a little bit of buffering from what is now going to be a barrage of expectations on you. On walking this multi-stakeholder, moral, economic decision making, political decision making, that is going to come out of it. All
0: right, terrific. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go into Q and A in a bit, but I'm going to ask one final question, which is: I think all the students at Stanford right now are, are likely many, many of them know what their purposes are. Is are many of them don't even know what their majors should be, and you know, and so I think there's this question of. If, if suddenly we're going to bring to light that everybody should start thinking about purposes, I'm wondering for those individuals that don't know what their purpose is or don't know what their calling is, um, any advice that you can give? And actually I'd ask actually to begin with, Ranjay, can you share personally for yourself? Um, do you have a purpose for, for yourself individually? And when did you know your deep purpose and w- when did that happen in life? And, and how did that occur?
1: So, Ravi, again, another really great question. So first of all, purpose is, a, is an evolving construct, right? It's not like I had it nailed down when I was 18 and I'll pull it out right now and show you. It's still the same. Not at all, right? My purpose has evolved over time. And there were moments in my life when all it was really primarily about just having a career. I wanted to be an academic and I wanted to hopefully get a job in a... Decent place where I felt I could teach really smart students. Right? I think so, purpose is something, but you have to start asking yourself that question What energizes me? What excites me? When do I feel fulfilled? What really makes me feel good about myself? When do I show up at my best self? When, if I was to ask myself, if I cease to exist, what would be the one thing I want to be remembered by? And actually, I'll just share with you one that, you know, um, one of my good friends is, a, is the CEO of Panera. And he had a real tragedy in his life. His daughter, when she was 13 years old, found out her name was Aisha Chowdhury, And she found out that she was going to die. The parents found out and they decided to tell her. And she had like three, four years left to live. Now, imagine if you're 13 years old and you know that you're not going to go to college. You're going to be dead. High school is it. And her story actually was made into a Bollywood movie called The Sky is Pink on Netflix. Can be watched with subtitles if you want. And how she then uses that time to say, I am confronting my mortality. And so maybe I need to ask myself, why am I here? She did a couple of TED Talks. She wrote a book. And her ruminations of a young kid confronting such a tragic moment is so inspiring. Now, I don't wish that on any of you. But same happened to Steve Jobs, by the way, right? His kind of amazing speech to your commencement was a part of it was him confronting his own mortality. Now, I think why should we wait till we have to confront our mortality to uh, interrogate ourselves these questions? But I think we can learn a lot from them. So look up Aisha Chowdhury and see what she has to say. She's got a couple of TED Talks out there and the movie. And you see that I think it's never too early to ask ourselves this question. Why am I here? What if I cease to exist? What do I want to leave as my lasting legacy? How do I think I can make a meaningful... I put up the definition here by William Damon again. It's a generalized stable, and general attention to accomplish something that at the same time meaningful to me and consequential to the world beyond me. What gives me meaning? And how do I want to make a contribution to the world around me? I think those are fair questions to be asked. And those things were, so my purpose today is, I my purpose is to educate leaders who make a positive difference in the world. That's what I see my purpose as. I feel that, you know, if I can accomplish that, that is how I can make a difference in the world. It's meaningful to me. And I believe it's my limited way to have some consequential impact on the world beyond me. Okay.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Ranjay. We're gonna go to um, the student questions. And gang, I'm gonna go based on meritocratic order. So if you upvote ones, I'll try to put more attention on. Um, There's a desire to talk more about purpose um, uh, and social purposes versus market purposes. So the question is, I'd like to hear more about how much of purpose is bound by social purposes versus market purposes. Do you want to react to that? Yeah,
1: That's an excellent question. And I'm so glad you asked that question. I myself got very confused because the word purpose has been hijacked. It's been hijacked by both extremes. On the one side people say, purpose of business is shareholder value. Leave them alone to focus on making money. All this other stuff is a distraction and a tax on business. That's the government's job, you know, or regulators job. Business's job is to focus on shareholders. The other extreme has come along and said purpose is anything but shareholder value. Shareholder value is bad. It's about making, doing good things for society, anything but profit. And then what happens is, so people start to do this purpose thing as a side hobby. It's the real tax on business. It's a CSR, ESG, get it out of there, call it a foundation, you know, whatever you want to do. I'll give you a day, a month to go and do some volunteer work, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's a feel-good exercise. Actually, purpose is about both. It gets to the very core of your business. What's the economic engine you're trying to build? And how is that economic engine going to have a commercial and social impact? And I think that's where we
0: have to take it. How does what we do make a difference in the world? And... And Ranjay, what if, but if you're trying to thread the needle between both, there is that danger of becoming motherhood and apple pie, becoming all those mission statements that you put up before that appease everything but ultimately mean nothing. Um, how do you make sure that you're actually just not doing that and you're just drinking your own Kool-Aid, saying that I have purpose, but really you don't have deep purpose?
1: Thanks for calling that out. I dug myself into a hole here, so let me try to dig myself out of it, actually, because actually uh, Ravi is right. There's another little wrinkle in this. People started to say, oh, so Ranja, you're saying purpose is win-win, right? Win-win meaning uh, when you can do both social and commercial at the same time, right? Is that magical thread the needle where you've got both happening. You know, I'm lending money in microfinance to poor people in Bangladesh at 20% because the gov- market, banks charge, you know, money lenders charge them 100%. So 20% is more than what they could get in the city, but they don't go to the city. So I'm bringing money to them at 20%. And I'm making money and I'm doing a good thing. Win-win. Most of life is not win-win. It's really hard to get to win-win. So you end up, imagine a two-by-two of market impact and social impact, right? To use your language. And you say, well, I have some things that are purely social. I have something that are purely market. And I have a few things that are accomplishing both. Do I only do both? And I think that's not true. There are some things that are purely market and don't have a social impact. Some things that are purely social that don't have a market impact. How do I manage that portfolio of activities? So you have to take a portfolio view of that. I'm saying not everything is going to be win-win. But I have to ask myself, what is the, in aggregation, how are we going to make a difference, right? So at one level, you might say a company like uh, an Etsy is you know, commerce, making commerce human. It's helping sellers of products sell to buyers, so they create livelihoods and jobs. And so maybe there's a social element there, but ultimately they're a marketplace also. So how do we unpack and think about what's social, what is commercial and how do I blend the two together? I think it's a very important question and not an easy answer because you have to justify the portfolio and if you have a legacy business, you know, like look at British Petroleum, they wanna get out of oil and gas, they wanna be beyond petroleum, BP, but it's not gonna happen overnight. So you have to find a transitional journey or your Pepsi, trying to go beyond selling junk food and cola. You can't do it overnight. So how are you going to get there? So how do you balance that portfolio is the part that I think is not so easy. I, I call it walking on the razor's edge.
0: Yep. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ranjay. The next question that has most upvotes is, um, if you found a time machine, went back and had a few minutes to chat with your 20-something-year-old self, what would you tell him?
1: That's a great question. My
0: God, you guys are smart. Oh, okay. And
1: asking me zingers, you know, these are tough questions. You know, I think I honestly had never thought about my purpose. I was so fixated on narrow career success. And I hadn't allowed myself the space to even imagine that I had the possibility to impact something beyond myself. I think it was, I don't know if it was a bit narcissistic, but it was a little self-fixation. And I hadn't, you know, and what you discover, by the way, if you haven't read some research on the psychology of happiness, what makes us happy? So that's an interesting body of work. There's a lot of work by Martin Seligman at Penn and others. And it's interesting what they find. The first thing is, if you look at activities and attitudes, activities come in two flavors. What are you passionate about? And how do you want to make a contribution to something beyond yourself? Those are the two unlocks for happiness on activities, right? I didn't know what I was passionate about, nor did I ever think about how I can make a contribution to anybody except myself. Then it came to attitudes. The two unlocks for attitudes are interesting. The first one is gratitude. Turns out gratitude makes a huge difference to unlocking happiness. And the second one is compassion, which leads to non-judgment and engagement. I can tell you, if I was to tell myself those four things, I think I would have been a much happier, younger person. But, you know, we are in the mode of striving and we think we're happy, kind of like, you know, jumping around and having a good time and, you know, I think we don't even know what it means to be happy.
0: I agree. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Ranjay. That's that's fantastic. Um, uh, You're already having deep impact um, as well as deep purpose today. Um, I'm going to move to the next questions. There's a bunch, and I know we're not going to get through everything. Um, This next question is, at what level should an organization's purpose be defined and articulated, i.e. how detailed slash specific versus broad slash general should it be? And if there's guidance, especially for startups, when we have young companies that are just starting, I think that might also be helpful.
1: So it's another really excellent question. And there's actually a Wharton professor who studies narrative of companies. And he points out a paradox. His name is Drew Carton, C-A-R-T-O-N, if you want to look it up. And Drew says that these statements have an inherent paradox. The more general and abstract they are, the harder it is for people below to relate to them. The more specific they are, then you have another problem as well. So I think what we need is you need the general statement, but you also need to be able to translate it into a set of concrete principles and actions people should consider. So having a general statement, along with some translation of it. Now, having said that, so that's one thing, have a general statement, but make sure it's translates to people who understand it. Having said that, I looked at one company, Gotham Green. If you haven't seen Gotham Green, they're in San Francisco also. They're using urban rooftops for hydroponic farming. And if you go to Whole Foods and buy salad or herbs, you're going to find Gotham Green over there. In New York, they're on the rooftop of Whole Foods and very successful, has raised several rounds of venture funding, great they are, I think, very purpose-driven, but they don't have a purpose statement. So I asked the founder, Viraj Puri, I'm like, come on. I'm studying purpose. You need to have a narrative. He said, we don't need one. We know what it is. We know what it is. We have a set of core beliefs we believe in. Okay, I'll write it down one day, but you know, right now we're fine. Maybe when we get bigger, we need it. So I think it's having clarity. And, and I think he's going to need it as he's gone across geographies. They were kind of East Coast based in the three or four cities. here. Now they're all over the country. They're going to need to have some way to communicate and articulate what they mean. But I think to, to your point, I think is it has to be a general enough um, aspiration. It has to have goals and duties, but you have to then translate it into something more concrete. Otherwise, it is just much of words.
0: And so just to clarify, the Gotham Green example, you think, is an example of what not to do? Or do you think that
1: that's- No, I I was saying as an example of where you might not even need a
0: purpose. Well, I think that's the norm, frankly, Ranjit. I think most startups are going to say, I don't need to spend time to articulate something right now. We all know it. I don't need to do this. I need to go get fundraising and sales done. I would tell you, you need
1: it. I would say that, how are you going to tell your story? What's your elevator pitch? Your elevator pitch is part and parcel of your purpose. So if you're busy finessing your elevator pitch, guess what you're doing? Without even realizing it, you're really forcing yourself to think about what's my purpose? Now you can say my elevator pitch is about a product and not about some larger thing. And I would say, make your pitch more expansive.
0: Okay, Okay, terrific. Um, I'm going to move forward with some other questions. Um, This question is asking, how should social justice activism play into the purpose mission statement of a company?
1: Look, I don't want to have a generalizable principle on that. I think it's really a function of what the founders and the founding team believe. They have to believe it. So no purpose has to be lived. Now you asked my personal opinion today. I think we are at a crossroad as a society. People are even asking is capitalism worth it, right? Just think about it. People are questioning whether we wanna be in a capitalist system. They haven't questioned democratic systems yet, but at least even that's under suspect right now. Do we know how to vote? So when you have democracy under siege, you have capitalism under siege, you know, there are larger, and people are putting it right at the doorstep of business and saying, what are you doing about it? And there are several issues. What are you doing about social justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion? What are you doing about ESG, the planet? How are you addressing these larger problems that we believe you have a part in causing? So, and I think it can be, it can be also a talent magnet, you know, we are, as you all know, better than me. It's really hard to find good talent right now. And I think, I think people want to work in places where they feel an affinity and you're going to attract the right kind of people. So how do you get people who have, you know, there was a French sociologist in the 19, early 1900s, Emile Durkheim. Durkheim talked about moral communities. He said, people who are bound together by a shared belief, not in religion, moral belief, and brought them together. And the ideas, ideals bring people together in a way that simply, hey, nexus of contracts. What do you want? How much do I need? Pay for performance, pay for performance, pay for performance. You need that too, by the way. I'm not pooing that, but you can't only rely on just that.
0: Let me, th- thank you. Um, I'm going to, we have, we have one minute left. I'm going to try to put this one other question because I think it dovetails what you just said. Um, It's a bit of a long question, but let me read it as leaders. We sometimes find people who have great technical capabilities and would make excellent members of the team. However, the company's purpose does not entirely resonate with them. Do you think it is wise to get them on board and help them better understand our company's purpose, or is it better to find somebody else who entirely resonates with the purpose?
1: I hate to dodge what a great question that is. So look, what I have come to realize is many companies today are trying to actually help employees activate their purpose. Not everybody has a purpose. So Microsoft had an online program to get all their employees go through a course to think about their personal purpose. So you may encounter somebody who's never thought about it and you may believe that, you know, if I help them think about their own purpose, they could maybe become more receptive to our purpose. So that's one possibility. But if you find complete lack of resonance, you know, you need to then decide how deep purpose you are. Because if you are deep purpose, you're going to be looking for people who either are resonant with your purpose or have the potential to become that. way. Not everybody will start. This is not a cult where you say filtering mechanism. Are you in or are you out? You know, and but... If there is no chance they're gonna be misfits, then you know you're doing yourself and them a favor in that regard. Um, and I think that's something, a very good question to think about. How serious are you about this in terms of the high talent, raw talent? That's where, and I think purpose is lived when you're making trade-offs. So I a, uh, the larger point I wanna to make to you is, you can't say purpose is win-win. Purpose is lived when you're making hard choices. We are going to do this, even if it is not economically costly to us, but because it lines up with who we are.
0: The Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series is a Stanford eCorner original production. The stories and lessons on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. To learn more, please visit us at eCorner.stanford.edu.